What a great time we have this morning to just reflect upon the truth of the Word of God for our lives and how it may challenge us. I'll ask you, if you would, once again, to just bow with me in a word of prayer as we ask God to attend to our time. Lord, we are so grateful that we can live in a place, be with a people, whereby we can open Your Word together. We can look at what it says and what it means by what it says. Be equipped by You that we might live for You in a world that hates You. So thank You for these moments. Help us not ever to take them for granted and always cherish them with the greatest of joy. Give us rest. Allow us to sense a refuge as we are here in this place that we might be equipped for the days ahead. All to your glory and praise in honor of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I'll ask you once again to take your Bibles with me and turn in them to the book of Colossians as we continue to look into this study that we began some months ago on how apostasy gets into and affects the evangelical church. We find ourselves this morning once again in this section of chapter 2 in Colossians where Paul is confronting in a very head-on way the false teachers of his day that had infiltrated the church there in Colossae. And so I want to begin our time just by reading for us once again a few of these verses And I want to begin in verse 8 and just read down through verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, And in Him you have been made complete, and He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. There was a little boy one day that asked his mother a very profound question. Or I should say he was asked the question by his mother, this profound question, what is a lie? What is a lie? little boy was quick to answer. He said, Mom, a lie is an abomination to the Lord, but a very present help in times of trouble. I thought that was quite profound. That little boy knew the truth. Obviously grew up in some kind of home where The Bible was at least read or acknowledged. He knew the truth, but it was only partial truth. 
There's only partial truth. He stated elements of truth, but it was incomplete. It wasn't full. It had been redefined. It had been changed. It had been subtly altered in order to fit the desire of his own little situation. It's an abomination to the Lord, but it can be very helpful if you need it. And that made the truth itself a lie. And that is just what was taking place in the church in Colossae. False teachers had had crept into the church. They had crept in unnoticed, as, as it says in other places in Scripture. They had crept into the church and had begun to undermine truth, not by doing away with truth altogether, but by subtly introducing subtle changes to the truth. They, in essence, were, because of that, speaking lies. They were not speaking the truth. They were not giving the truth. They were speaking lies. For them, in Colossae, it was the counterfeit teachings about Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ was. That that you needed other things that were necessary in order to be saved. We live in a day and age where today we hear all kinds of lies. The world spews all kinds of things at us at breakneck speed as if to say that it is true and it is not a lie. The world says to us, it's okay, go ahead and be a homosexual. That that's okay, it's right, in fact, it's even something to be proud about. The Bible says it's an abomination to the Lord. The world today says it's okay to choose whatever gender you'd like to choose. Go ahead and be whatever you want to be. Choose it and even be an Olympic athlete in whatever venue you'd like to be. We'll acknowledge it as okay. But God says that He created male and female. The world says that it's okay to do whatever you want to do that we must be inclusive of all things. And God says, oh, no, no, no. You must do it my way. You see, the Colossian church was hearing all kinds of lies and particular lies about Jesus Christ. They were saying that Christ wasn't enough. They were undermining the sufficiency of Christ for salvation. They were saying that He really wasn't God in the flesh. They, they were saying and, and even implying by their very words that He wasn't the only one you needed to follow for life and godliness. That go ahead, follow your heart, it'll be okay. That if you were going to be truly religious, then you needed to follow some strict made man-made rules in order to be okay before God. And so Paul, in order to equip the believers there in Colossae with this onslaught of continuous lies that were coming their way, only to be repackaged in our own day by other things, Paul lays down the foundation of absolute truth about Christ. He does that in order to equip all of us 
who know Jesus Christ, that we might be able to see the deception in the lies and expose them for what they are. Now, when we were here last Lord's Day, we we learned that each one of us has an individual responsibility for our own sanctification in these things and our own growth in these things when it comes for us to being protected against the deception that comes. We have a personal responsibility as Christians. And if we're not going to become prisoners of this philosophy, if we are not going to become spiritual kidnapped victims, if you will, of false doctrine, then we have to remember that we have this personal responsibility in order to protect ourselves. You remember what Paul says here in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. That's not for the collective whole. Hey, Colossian church, I want you to all gather together, come together and see to it that you as a whole aren't taken captive. No, that's an individual command to us as Christians. We individually must ensure that we personally are not taken captive through the philosophies of men. All of this of course, lies within the overarching category that we've labeled the marks of deception. The marks of deception. This is the falsity of what is being taught today. And it begins with the overarching ground of human wisdom. Philosophy. Philosophy. Philosophy isn't in and of itself in some sense a bad thing. In other words, man views man from man's perspective and gains a lot of information about that. The problem is what man does with it. Man begins to diagnose his own problems with his own view and he leaves God out of the picture. He sees things that are, in fact, reality, that man's behavior is bad, that man doesn't do good things, that man struggles with problems in life, and yet the diagnosis is man can save himself. And the problem today is that even in the evangelical church, many who are claiming to know Jesus Christ, they have forgotten that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. We have forgotten that. And so we even sometimes when we come to the Bible and the Bible speaks its truth and we read what it says and, and the Bible says that homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord we, and yet we see the world going on and we see two people who seemingly look at for all intents and purposes on the outside to have some kind of affection for one another and it doesn't seem to be at least on a human level very problematic. We go, well, wait a minute. How can that be a problem? And the reason we begin to think like that is because we've forgotten what God says. It doesn't matter what the world says. What God says is true. And human wisdom only results in a delusion of the truth. And so I want to continue our look at this this morning in order to help protect us, in order to help guard us, in order to help grow us. And I think it's an important reminder for each of us that we must, as Christians, condemn any kind of teaching that threatens our testimony to the clarity and veracity and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says just in in verse 8. I'll just list them out. We have to reject any of these things that 
challenge the testimony to Christ and his sufficiency. Notice what he says. He says, first of all, it's a worthless deception, right? Paul calls it empty deception. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. And that means it just results in delusion. It results in something that will take you down a road whereby you do not know the truth anymore. It is the only truth of the gospel that delivers anyone. Nothing else. Nothing else. Only Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the deliverer of the sinful heart. Nothing else will do it. And then Paul says it's traditional. It's according to traditions. According to the traditions, that means that it's questionable at best. Why? Because its origin comes from the heart of man. Anything that devalues Christ, anything that devalues the gospel, anything that adjusts the truth of the Word of God in any kind of way, subtle or great, is flowing from the heart of man, and therefore it is by nature unsatisfactory as any kind of means through which you will come to know Christ. It's of tradition. That's why Paul says it's of the tradition of men, of men. That means its logical reasoning is plagued by sin. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Anything that comes from man that is a source by man that comes out of the heart of man that says, hey, man can help with this, that God doesn't have the sufficiency to solve your issues in life is out of the heart of man, and that cannot help you. Cannot help. It will only cause further and further delusion. But the gospel of Christ does not come from man. The gospel of Christ comes from God who cannot lie and His gospel is complete in every way. Then notice Paul says it's according to the elementary principles. Elementary principles. That means that it has no ability to mature you. Has no ability to grow you. Has no ability to to increase your understanding in the things of God, and rather than maturity, it will only lead you to immaturity and away from Christ rather than toward Christ. Why? Because it's notice of the world. It's of the world. That means that it's a resource. It's not spiritual at all. It doesn't come things from the things of the Spirit. It is only that which is material. It is of this fallen world. Therefore, it is not gospel truth at all. And then he says, it's opposite of Christ. It's of the world rather than according to Christ. In other words, it's not after Christ at all. That means that its relevance to the real need that we have as humanity is completely non-existent. It has no understanding of the need of man. Christ, beloved, is the only one who can ever meet man's real need. 
And so it fails at every level. The falsity of the teaching that came into the church in Colossae had as its goal one thing, and that was simply spiritual enslavement. Enslave you to a system, enslave you to a way, enslave you to a world philosophy that would not save. And so Paul warns us as believers to be extremely careful to watch out that no one, that not one of you is kidnapped through the hollow and deceptive philosophy that man brings. It will not help you. Why is Paul so adamant about this? Because, beloved, the counterfeits are that good. They are that good. They use the truth. They use the words of the truth. They are manipulative in their own ends. And because they are so good, it seems almost impossible not to be duped. Seems almost impossible that you and I could could be able to see to it that we aren't taken captive. How can anyone not get sucked into the philosophy that uses truth? So logically put together in a system that appears so moral and so right. How can we See to it that we're not sucked in. How can we be protected? Well, the answer to that question is twofold in these verses that I read this morning. And they are this. Truly know the person, that the person Christ is sufficient. Truly know that. Christ is absolutely sufficient. And truly know that the work of Christ alone completes us. Truly know that the work of Christ completes us and truly know that the person of Christ is absolutely sufficient for us. That's what we have to understand if we're going to be protected from the onslaught of false doctrine, from the onslaught of these lies that continue to seem to be entering into the church even in our day. So let's look at this first one. Truly know the person of Christ, that He alone is sufficient. That He alone is sufficient. This was the entire basis of the false teaching of the day in which Paul was teaching, and it is the basis even in our own day. Christ is not enough. That's the bottom line, really. Let's just say it that way. Christ is not enough. In other words, Christ isn't sufficient. In order to be good enough, in order to to be a righteous person, in order to be a good Christian person, you have to live according to, the world says, and, and even evangelicalism, some in evangelicalism are saying, you have to live according to the principles of the world. In other words, in order to even understand the Scriptures today, you have to buy off on wokeism and critical race theory and intersectionality and all these other titles that some of us go, what does that even mean? What they're saying is you have to understand that you are an oppressor if you're not a person of color. You are an oppressor and that you cannot really understand how to love your neighbor as yourself unless you become and understand that you are an oppressor and understand what they feel like as an oppressed person if they're a person of color And you can't even understand the passages of Scripture unless you look at them through that lens. 
Intersectionality simply means that there are various avenues of which your oppression comes. So if you are a woman of color, you have two areas that intersect. Not only are you oppressed as a woman, but you're oppressed as a person of color. You have intersections. And so you get multiple areas, and if you're not in those categories at all, you just need to understand that you are, by your very being, racist. You're racist. And when that enters into the church, the underlying premise is the same as the Colossian problem. Christ isn't enough. Christ isn't enough. In order to be good enough, in order to get into heaven, in order to meet the requirements of God, in order to be an actual Christian, I need Christ, yes, but Christ isn't enough. Christ isn't sufficient. Christ doesn't solve those issues. Christ doesn't change the heart enough. Christ doesn't deal with the relational issues of life. Christ doesn't make you a new person in Him. You are just partially there, and you need to manufacture all of these things in order to get into the place whereby you are then acceptable to God. In fact, in man's wisdom, to say that Christ isn't enough for us for life and godliness is in reality to say that Christ isn't even God. He's not even God. In fact, I even heard recently that one prominent pastor in evangelicalism says that God doesn't even speak loudly about sexual sin in the Bible. He whispers about it. He whispers. You ask the religions of our day if Christ is God, you'll get a myriad of answers. You'll get a myriad of answers. In fact, you ask the religion of atheism if Christ is God, and they say God doesn't exist, even though they argue against Him so adamantly. Why would you argue against something that doesn't exist if you believe it doesn't exist? The Jehovah's Witness will say that He is a God, but not that He is the God. The Mormons will say that Christ is the Son of God, but not the only God, that He is the Son. There's God the Father, He's a God, and then there's God the Son. But they're not one. The Eastern religions say that Jesus is simply one of many incarnations of God. You just make your choice. To the Christian scientist, He is simply the great healer. Some of those in New Age religions of the day, he's just a sorcerer who can restructure events of the world through some kind of mental emptying exercise whereby you empty yourself and become one with whatever's around you. Even some within mainstream evangelicalism today say you need more than God the Spirit to understand how to deal with ethnic hatred in our world, and they label it under the term critical race theory. You can't understand the Scriptures because the Holy Spirit isn't enough. All of that, beloved, is another gospel. All of it is a gospel that will not save. All of it is a gospel of delusion, a gospel that will only delude and will not reconcile and will only divide. All of it. Every religion wants some kind of Jesus. Every religion wants something to hold on to, but the only Jesus we need is the Jesus of the Scriptures. 
The only Jesus we need is the Jesus that the Bible proclaims as God has defined it and reflected Him. That's the only Jesus. And truly, to know the Jesus of the Bible, you must first know that He is not God-like, but rather that He is God. He is not a manifestation in some strange way of some godlike being. He is fully God. There is no greater a comprehensive statement, I think, in all of Scripture about the deity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ than these words we find here in verse 9. These words, by the inspiration of God, the Spirit, completely dismantle every argument that attempts to undermine the reality that Jesus Christ is not sufficient. He is fully sufficient, and each and every word in this verse is loaded with meaning. Notice first in these words we find that there is no contemporary in the created angels or in the created mankind to Christ. You notice that it says here in this verse that in Him all the fullness of deity dwells. In Him. We could rightly say there, and you could even put in the margins, and it wouldn't be wrong by way of emphasis of the grammar that it says, in Him alone deity dwells. That is simply to say, by the means of God the Spirit, in writing through the pen of the Apostle Paul to the believers in Colossae, that you find no deity in any other created thing or any other being except for Christ. Deity does not show up in the minds of men. It does not come about in the spiritual emanations produced by some demonic force. There is no deity in any of those. No, it is in Him. In Him. That is emphatic here. We cannot miss that. The Apostle Paul is simply and emphatically saying that we must settle once and for all in our understanding that there is no contemporary to Christ. And therefore, secondly, Because He is God, there is no lack in Him. For in Him all the fullness dwells. That means that Jesus is not given parts of deity by measure. Jesus Christ is not partly God, and other parts of Him are not God. It isn't as if only some of Him is deity. It isn't as if when you read through the Gospels and you see the life of Jesus Christ as He walks on the face of the earth, as it's given to us by the Holy Spirit through the writers of the Gospels, it isn't as if some of Jesus was deity and others weren't. All of Him is deity or none of Him is deity. In other words, you cannot come with any computation for Christ and have it work unless it is all of Christ that is God. 
anything that diminishes the reality of the deity of Jesus Christ in any kind of way removes Him from being God. And now in doing that, you've just created a God of your own making. Christ is fully God or He is not God at all. And so thirdly, these words tell us that there is no comparison therefore to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells. He is the fullness of deity. That means that there is not another that is even close to who Christ is. There is no other Messiah. There is no other Savior. There is no other Guru. There is no other leader that compares to Christ. In Him and in Him alone is all the fullness of deity. That's why Paul uses these words. That's why the Holy Spirit specifically put it this way. And notice that it says, in Him all the fullness of deity dwells. Dwells. That means that there's no change and there will ever, never be a change. Nothing in the future. Nothing will change from the past of who Jesus Christ is. He will always be God. He is sufficient. Deity settled down in Christ so that when you look at Christ, when you open the Scriptures and you see Christ, when you read about Christ, guess who you are looking at? Guess who you are staring in the face of? You are staring in the face of God. And we are permanently looking at God when we see Christ. And shock of all shock... Paul brings together in this grand design here by the wording that is here, whereby deity and humanity join together. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells, notice, in bodily form. In bodily form. Now that reminds us, that reminds us that if Christ is God, if Jesus is God in the flesh, then these words remind us that in Christ there is no corruption. There can be no corruption because He is deity. In Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Beloved, that means that while He is fully God, He is also fully man yet without sin. Fully God yet fully man, yet without sin. Mankind comes along, the world comes along and says, that's nonsense, that's, that cannot be. The Mormons come along and says, he must be a God, he can't be fully God. In fact, he, he was just a good person and all these kinds of nonsensical ideas. Why? Simply because the human mind, the finite mind of a fallen man cannot understand the profoundness of the reality of the kenosis, the incarnation, the joining whereby God became man so that we might be saved and be able to be with Him. And yet He is fully God and fully man. There is no corruption in Him. He is the perfect man.
Right there in verse 9, the truth about Jesus Christ completely destroys any notion that He is anything but God alone, that He is anything but sufficient. One man said it this way, quote, We can see the fullness of God in His work in the heavens and creation around us, but in Christ we see the face of God, unquote. He's right. Listen, next time a false religion comes to your house and knocks on the door and says, hey, I want to talk to you about a few things, that, and they want to say to you that Christ is less than God in some kind of way, you just open your Bible, bring them to Colossians chapter 1 or chapter 2 and verse 9, and you say, read this verse and tell me what that says. And of course, in their nonsensical human understanding, they won't be able to tell you what it says because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. So you tell them what it says. You say to them and ask them this question, how can He be anything less than God when it clearly says that He is God? Next time you hear that you need to look at your Bible, open your Bible and look at it through the lens of some kind of man's wisdom, or you can't understand how to deal with the relational issues between ethnic hatred that has gone on in the country and in the world throughout the years, how you need to have that in order to treat others of different ethnicity than you out of some kind of man-made brotherly kindness that is labeled as loving your neighbor as yourself. You take them to this passage and you read to them about who Christ is and that you will treat others just as Christ does because He is God and not man. You tell them that. Listen, beloved, the traditions of men, the world's wisdom tries to redefine Christ. That's all it tries to do. Give me a different Jesus. Why? Because they don't like the Jesus of the Bible. They don't want the Jesus of the Bible because the Jesus of the Bible is the truth. He is the way. There is no other way. He is the way. He is the truth. And so they redefine Him in in some kind of way that's palpable for their own conscience to be able to live the way they want to live without Jesus, yet they attach themselves to a so-called Jesus. And so the religions of the world come along and say, He was just a good man. He laid out the principles for us in order to be good people ourselves. He's the ideal to be reached. That's not what the Bible says. The absolute truth of God, the Word of God, God says, listen, He is God in the flesh. Any other teaching's a lie. Any other teaching's a damning deception that must be rejected. Has to be rejected. Oh sure, the whole world, in fact the whole Liberal evangelical church might go some direction, but you say, listen, this is what God's Word says. I'm standing right here. I'm not going that direction. I'm not following after that nonsense. Any other lie, any other teachings, just a lie. Sad reality is, beloved, that far too often men who claim to be Christian, women who claim to be Christian, believe this is only intellectual. They believe it in an intellectual sense. Why? Because they have forgotten the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. They have forgotten that their own heart can deceive them. As I was studying this, I thought, 
This seems so basic, doesn't it? I mean, it seems so basic to, to Christianity, doesn't it? Shouldn't it? I mean, why do we need to be reminded of this? Why do we need to be reminded of who Christ is in His full essence in order to, to combat the realities of the lies around us? The reality is this. We need to be reminded of this because we are so prone to wander from it. Oh, sure. We don't wander so much with our words. No, we don't wander with our words. We say we love Jesus. We say we believe the Bible is its authority. We say it's the, it's the, the rule for all life and godliness. We say that, man, we love the Scriptures. We long for heaven, and yet far too often with our lives, we live as if we don't. Far too often we subtly live as if Christ is not God in the flesh. As if He is not the authority for all life and godliness. Because we, we speak, we speak sometimes with words that are very flowery, very even biblical words, and yet with our lives we live as if the authority of Scripture doesn't speak at all because the Scriptures tell us to go one direction and we say, wait a minute, that's too hard. I'm not going that way. Surely that's not what God says. And then we begin to subtly speak the very words of the serpent himself in the garden. Surely God didn't mean that. Why? Because we live like the world. Listen, beloved, to embrace critical race theory as a tool to understand the Bible today is to live as if you don't need something more than you need something more than Christ in your life. To live as if you, if the Holy Spirit isn't enough. To live as if He were not God at all. Or that He's just a small piece of God because if I take what the Word of God says in its literal sense, according to the context in which it is, according to the historicity and the grammar in which God has given it to us, if I live that way, man, that is going to cause all kinds of problems in my life. You see, the advice of the world is all around us. It's coming in at breakneck speed, and far, far too often we convince ourselves that we need to get, we need to have it, we need to get it, we need to listen to it if we're going to get by in life. And each and every time we don't accept the truth of Scripture into our lives by obedience to the Word of God and what it says, you know what we're saying by our own practical actions, you know what we're doing as Christians who, who claim to believe the truth, who claim to know the truth, who claim to follow Christ. Here's what we're saying, Christ, you must not be God. That's what we're saying. We're saying because even though I say I believe you are, I live as if you're not I live in such a way whereby my life follows after the wisdom of the world because I don't trust your word enough to stand upon it. Listen, beloved, it's subtle. It is so subtle. The counterfeit philosophy is easy to buy. It's easy to buy. Why? Because it makes Christianity easy. How many of us got up this morning and actually the first thing on our mind was, man, I'm still here. I can't wait to get to heaven. Did you think that? Was that the first thought in your mind this morning? 
Why not? Why not? That's what Colossians 3 tells us to do. Set your mind on things above. You see, we it's so subtle. It's so here. It's so easy to have no work at obedience in our lives. No need for repentance. No disciplining ourselves for godliness. It's so easy to do that. To have no humility and no dying to self. Just let go. Let God. Sleep on your Bible. By osmosis, something will seep into your life. Beloved, the evangelical church has bought that lock, stock, and barrel. Living as practical atheists. It's a tragedy to me as a pastor, and some of you I know who have come to me as a pastor, and you say, do you know a good church in so-and-so area that preaches the truth? It's sad to me that we even have to ask that question. It's sad to me that in a country whereby every American in this country has access to the Scriptures, if not a copy of the Scriptures, probably multiple copies within their very homes if they even never acknowledge God. And yet we have to ask the question, is there a church that will preach the Bible? We go on thinking that we are completely in the Christian evangelical mindset when in fact we're thinking like the world. Apostle Paul says to Colossians, watch out. Watch out. The philosophy wants to own you. It wants to own you. It wants to have you. It wants to keep you captive. It wants to make you a kidnap victim. But the truth of Christ ought to protect us from being taken captive. The truth about Christ, who Christ is, and all that Christ is. Why? Because He's only God. He is the only God there is. And secondly, therefore, we are complete in Him. Paul says, notice, and in him, verse 10, you have been made complete. (laughs) Oh, we live in a day, right? We live in a day and age today where there's all kinds of talk about. There aren't absolutes, right? No, there's no truth, right? Truth is relative. That's what the talk today. The statement runs absolutely against what the Bible declares. You understand that? People say there are no absolutes. Listen, truth is relative. Listen, inclusiveness is the new idea with with the way the world defines it. And there is no real truth. You cannot be definitive about anything. If you're definitive, you're intolerant. And yet the Bible speaks clearly and absolutely against that notion. Especially about your life. Because here it says, in Him you have been made complete. In other words, in Christ we are made full. Full. Listen, we're, we're never going to understand the impact of those words unless we understand how completely empty we are without Christ. You're never going to understand what Christ has done for you until you understand that you, who you were without Jesus Christ. Let me just show you this for a second. Well, you, you know this well. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. This is how God describes that emptiness. Once again, 
by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesian believers, chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, that is, carried on life, according to the course of this world, you were just like them, thought like them, did everything like them, it doesn't matter how you might have defined your life, this is the reality of who you are without Christ, you're dead in your sins, you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who's that? That's Satan himself, so you were walking in happiness according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now working in sons of disobedience you say oh that wasn't me yes it was because among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh Paul says listen even if you're a believer that's who you were Well, what does that mean? Living according to the lust of my flesh. Well, you were indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature a child of wrath. That's the emptiness. There's the fullness of emptiness. To coin a phrase. You were completely empty. Notice verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Separate from Christ. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. That's empty. That's complete and absolute emptiness. You and I, in our Christless humanity, prior to God saving us, each and every one of us has had no ability whatsoever to transverse the great chasm that lied between us and glory. No way. We could have tried through the philosophies of the world. We could have said, yes, I'll become woke. Yes, I'll become all of these things that the world has to say. I'll make my attempts to be filled with all the empty delusions of the world. And I'll come up short. All of it leaves you in one place. It only leaves you with spiritual hunger pains and are wondering if you are right with God in the end. I was thinking about this driving the other day to... Uh, see a friend of mine and I thought, you know, all of us end up the same way. You think, duh. Well, it was profound to me at the moment. All of us end the same way. I don't care how much money you got in the bank today. Guess what? When you die, you're going to be face to face with God. I don't care how little money you have in the bank today to, to sustain life. When you die, you will face God. All of us end the same way. We are face to face with God. And what are you going to do? All of your philosophies of the world will not help. All your attempts to fill yourself with all the empty delusions of the wisdom of the world will not help. It never works. You will be left unsatisfied. And prior to your dying here on this earth without Christ, you are left having no assurance of your fulfillment of the spiritual need that you really have in the heart. You are not complete. You are incomplete because you are in the realm of Satan. But in Christ, Paul says, in Christ we are made complete. In Him you have been made complete. It isn't something we did. In fact, we never could accomplish it. That's what the other religions of our day try to do. 
That's what those who were battling for the souls in Colossae were trying to do. They were telling you that you can do something. In fact, you must do something if you're going to be right with God, if you're going to be acceptable with God. But the Bible absolutely and with clarity and with certainty tells us that it is in Christ alone that we are made complete. There is nothing else. And I want us to notice that not only was it completed by Christ, but that the spiritual completeness that we find here in verse 10 is unending in Christ. It's completed by Christ, but it's unending in Christ. That's why Paul says it the way he does. He says, you have been made complete. In other words, the results of you being drawn to Christ and believing in Christ by the grace of God, the results of that is equal to you being filled with Christ eternally. In other words, you cannot get away from Christ because Christ will not get away from you. Once you're truly saved, you're always saved. So there's a continuation into all eternity. That means it's, it's not something you can lose. It's not something you can get yourself away from. If you, if you get away from it and you, you go the way of, of anti-Christ, then guess what? You were never saved. God loses none of His own. This isn't something you can lose. When you're in Christ, you're in Christ because it's nothing to do with you holding on to it. It's everything to do with Him holding on to you. See, the result of our sin, like Ephesians 2 said, was that we are left in a state of incompleteness. We are are without God in the world because we're totally out of fellowship with Him. That's how sin leaves us. That's where sin brings us into with a complete inability, any moral compunction at all to follow after the things of God. We rejected God and we were, by our own human wisdom, unable to know even the truth. Why? Because we suppress the truth in our own unrighteousness, Romans 1 says. But at the point we are saved by God in Christ, we actually become partakers of the divine nature, Second Peter chapter 1 tells us. Because we are in Christ, we are made absolutely complete in Christ, and there's no need for anything else. That's not just for now, that's for eternity. That's forever. That's forever. We are spiritually complete because we now have fellowship with God. That's what John 1 1 tells or 1 John 1 tells us. We have fellowship with God. So we're able to do the will of God because now in Christ we actually have a spiritual capacity to understand the will of God. We can follow after the truth. Why? Because we have the spirit of truth indwelling us, because we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we can now obey the truth. We can do what the truth says. We don't have to follow after the things of the world. Why? Because the world offers us nothing. Christ is sufficient for everything. We understand the will of God because we know the living truth. We understand how to live for God. We understand how to live in a world that hates God. We understand how to be in this world that doesn't want anything to do with God. We understand how to decipher what the world is saying and what the world is doing. Why? Not because we're 
following after the things of the world, but we take the things of the world, we take every thought captive to the word of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete. See, this is Paul's whole point. This is Paul's whole point. For a person, for for someone to profess that they believe in Christ and yet say that we lack anything is a grand deception. That's a deception of the world. That's a deception and a lie of Satan. All true believers are absolutely complete in Christ. We We don't need the teachings of any cult. We don't need the teachings of any false teacher. We don't need someone coming in and redefining what the Bible actually says by what God says here according to the context in which it's written and the history in which it was given to us. God doesn't want us confused. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to rest in Him. We have everything in Christ. Why? Because He's completely God. And you and I are complete in Him alone. That means, beloved, that each and every one of us has to ask ourselves a question. We have to ask ourselves a question in our Christianity each and every day. And the question is this, who today is going to rule? Who today, in my decisions and in my life and in my walk and when I see things and when I read things and when I hear things and when I pick up a book and when I turn on the television, when I drive my car and when I come to the church and when, I, when I'm involved in, in any kind of activity, who is going to rule? Who is going to be my authority? Am I going to trust my own heart? Am I going to trust that my heart is right? Or am I going to let my heart be defined and regulated by what the Word of God says? Am I going to follow some human philosophy? Am I going to follow the wisdom of men? And am I going to take it at face value of what man says? Oh, it must be true because so many seem to be following after it. Or am I going to take all of that and filter it through the Word of God? Am I going to believe what some are perpetuating that that the deep things of man's problems, God just doesn't have the information to handle that. The Bible doesn't have what it takes to deal with that. Oh sure, the Bible is enough to get you saved, to get you into a relationship with God and deal with your sin issue, but when you practice life, the Bible isn't sufficient for that. You need psychologists and you need people from the human realm who look at humanity from their perspective and come up with all kinds of bizarre diagnoses for what is your problem. Even though the Bible says that out of the heart flows the wellsprings of life, that your heart is the problem. You see, we can follow human philosophy. We can follow traditions of men and become self-induced prisoners of the army of Satan himself. Prisoners of his false system, or we can come to Christ and be made absolutely and completely free. 
This is my prayer, beloved, for us as believers. This is my heart that all of us who truly know Christ might never doubt our completeness in Christ and thereby not follow the authority of the word of God in life. One man said it this way, quote, if you are full of Christ and growing in that fullness, if you are overflowing with Christ, then the appeals of the empty philosophies of our age will bear little appeal to you. If you are full of him, how can you want anything else? Unquote. Notice how verse 10 ends. And he is the head over all rule and authority. <laughs> He is the head over all rule and authority. It doesn't matter how high you go. It doesn't matter how heavenly the philosophies of the day might sound. It doesn't matter the angelic words that someone might try to couch them in and try to make up. It doesn't matter how it sounds. They are all inferior to Christ. He is the head over all rule and authority. So it doesn't matter. The Apostle Paul said, listen, even if someone comes, even if an angel comes and teaches a different gospel, it's anathema. Even if they're from the angelic realm, Christ is superior. Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is all about the superiority of Christ. It tells us that there's going to come a time when even they will all bow in worship to God's command. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 says, No mediator is needed between God and man except Christ. We don't need to pray to dead spirits and so-called dead saints. We don't need to pray to people who have gone before us. We don't need to pay homage to in some kind of ancestral rituals to other created things, we have Christ. We have Christ. The Bible says Christ, His power is our gain. His grace abounds continually to us. His love is eternal for us. And His blood completely atones for our sin. Christ is our Reconciliation, Christ is our only hope. Paul says he is the head. There is no other. He is the head. Over all rule, over all authority. Simply stated, everything is under him. Everything is under him. Including the prince of the power of the air, who currently rules in the sons of disobedience. Even that is under him. All of that itself is a delusion to think that it rules anything. It's all under Christ. Our world's filled with lies, beloved. We need not be. We have the truth. We have the truth. Well, we're going to get more next time. We're going to get more next time. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to be finished with this probably until the 18th of July. 
Just thinking in my head. Anyway, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us such richness, such beauty, such wonder, such absoluteness that we need not be deluded, need not be taken captive. Lord, the self-imposed captivity of many is such a heartbreak. Even this week, talking to an old friend who beginning to embrace the lies and the delusions of his own sinful heart. Has known so well over the years what the truth is and yet rejecting it. Lord, I pray that we would not do the same. Pray that our hearts would be resolute, set like flint, to do what is only true and right before you not turning to the right or to the left. doesn't matter if we're alone. Help us to stand fast, knowing that Christ is sufficient for everything. And Lord, in the end, we'll praise You for it all because we don't sustain ourselves. You sustain us. And we'll give You all the praise and all the glory and rejoice with You for eternity because You have sustained us. So thank you for these things. Equip us and protect us by your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.